beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what is for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Merry Christmas, everyone. The passage we just read gives us a reason to have a cheerful outlook to this day, a cheerful outlook to all of our days, a cheerful outlook to all of eternity. It really can be merry <laughs> because of this day, the coming of Christ day, this day that we commemorate and celebrate the reality of what Christmas is. We've been on a journey as a church family these last uh, 23 times together um, learning from the faith and failure of biblical characters. This is today the 23rd character study we've done together, seeing ourselves a little bit in each of the Bible characters, a little bit in their faith and a little bit in their failures all along the way. And I think, at least for me, I've, I've been drawing near to the Lord, growing stronger in my faith, hopefully putting away some of my failures as we've been studying together. I asked you, who would you like to study? Who's your favorite Bible character? How, would, how could we best spend our time together as a church family? And you gave me suggestions, and I've been studiously trying to work through that list in our times together here. And uh, some of you repeatedly asked to study people like Ruth. I think I mentioned that there was a repeated aspect of requesting that we spend time thinking about Ruth and Boaz and we saw the connection, really, from Ruth and Boaz and King David and Jesus all in Bethlehem. And a fascinating thing with each of the characters we've studied and in God's redemptive plan and how each person fit into not just the thing about themselves, not just their time period. We've tried to connect it all together from Genesis to Revelation, how it all weaves together in God's eternal sovereign plan about redemption and salvation. It's been fascinating in a whole lot of ways. And I hope we've all profited from it together. Uh, in January, we'll start a new series. But uh, today, coming to a character that you might be able to guess who we're going to focus in on today. Interesting that when I asked you your favorite Bible character and who should we study and all the time, nobody ever suggested Jesus. 
So whether you like it or not, we're going to study Jesus today. <laughs> so uh, interesting, in studying him though, we can cross out the word failures in this series of messages because here we're only going to talk about his perfections. <laughs> there is no failure to talk about with Jesus. So in this particular series, now that we've come upon Jesus as the character, it's just the sweet series, not a sweet and sour series. No failure here, no sour notes in his life. A completely different person than anyone we've studied heretofore, and yet the same. Oh, there's the mystery, isn't it? The uniqueness of who Jesus is. There's a sense in which it's very understandable that none of you thought to ask that we'd study Jesus. Because um, we all know <laughs> we study Jesus no matter if we're studying from Genesis or studying from Revelation or Ezekiel in between. We know we're really studying Jesus all the way through. He's the central figure in every passage of Scripture, isn't he? And, of course, you're so well-versed in that. That's the reason none of you thought to ask that we would study Jesus. So, today, we have our Bibles open to a birth story. Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25 is that very, very familiar passage. Wonderfully so that it is very familiar to us. That It concludes with this, and she given birth to a son and, and called his name Jesus. Thankfully, that is a familiar story to us. I'm thankful that it's a familiar story to Western civilization. I'm, I know the fact that the name of Jesus is unknown to parts of the world. I'm, I'm familiar with that, but I'm very glad that it's very commonly known around the world, even 2,000 years later, who Jesus is, and, and this celebration is a part of why we know about it. It's so prominently featured throughout now human history since his birth that it's commonly known who he is. I'm glad for that. We come, when we come to a birthday celebration of, of our children, Faith and I commonly say to each of our three children, did I ever tell you about the day you were born? That's just a common thing for us, and our kids kind of roll their eyes and say, Yes, Mom, you told us, yeah, but I'm sure you're going to tell us again <laughs> today. Yes, it's a common story, and we, we, we relate that story about the day they were born to give us an opportunity to say, And what joy that brought us. Oh, how glad we were. It was such a spectacular day for us. And You know how birthdays go for everybody. We, we play it up because it's so grand and so wonderful. And so when we read the birthday story, there's a sense in which it's so common that you almost have to roll your eyes at the commonness of how frequently we think about it and talk about it in a church like ours in particular. You could almost go to sleep and say, I'll check it out here because after all, I know this story, right? Kind of like our kids, mom, I know the story. We went to Latrobe Hospital in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, and you know, you had all this pain and there, there was a baby and yeah, yeah, we're, we're familiar with that story. We know about the fact that you went to the hospital once and you know, they sent you back home, yeah, and then had to go again and 
It was a 45-minute trip to the hospital, and we didn't know if we were going to make it a time or two. Yeah, Mom, we know the details. And uh, we, we rehearsed those details to say, you're ours. We're glad you're ours. And we marked the thing. And yeah, you were born in Lake Trobe, Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's where Mr. Rogers is from. Yeah, and that's his hometown. And so, yeah, all three of you little kids, you were born in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And, oh. <laughs> yeah, Mom, we know that story. Yes, we do. Familiar as it is, we rehearse it often because it gives us that sense of connection and belongingness and so today, again, we open our Bibles to these familiar stories. Why? Because we belong to Him as believers in Him. And there's a connection there, one that will be for our eternal good. And so we rehearse the birth of Jesus yet again. Son of God, Son of Man. So today we're not talking about uh, even Ruth and Boaz, uh, we're not talking about uh, you know, King Herod, we're, we're not talking about so many other people you could isolate even in the story here, people involved. We're not even talking about uh, going back to uh, Nehemiah or pick out a king in the Bible or we're, we're Moses. or uh, You could talk about a lot of people. But there's a uniqueness when we talk about and feature Jesus because He's not just any other person. Son of God, son of man. Now that speaks of uniqueness, doesn't it? Not merely the person of the year. We've recently had Time Magazine's person of the year that, that comes prominently to our cultural awareness. Uh, this person we're going to talk about is not just a Nobel laureate who has changed our lives with a new discovery and, or, or written something that has been so significant. No, not merely that. Not, not just the person who wins the Heisman Trophy and displays athleticism like nobody else in the world. No, not merely that. No, not just a president uh, of the country. or No, not merely an emperor of an empire. None of that small stuff. Son of God. Son of man. Well, what does that mean? Son of God means that we believe the Bible reveals that he is fully God. There's a mystery. And yet also, simultaneously, Son of Man brings to our attention that he is fully man. Please understand, he's not half God and half man or even three-quarters God and one-quarter man, or even nine-tenths God and just a little bit man. No. <laughs> Here's the mystery of the revelation of this birth of Jesus, that he's fully God and fully man. There's a sense in which that's so unique it can't be. Yes, that's right. It cannot be. Yet it is. There's the supernatural, miraculous aspect of this truth. 
In fact, we use a word that tries to communicate the impossibility of what we're trying to say. In fact, it's such a word that's almost impossible to pronounce. (laughs) The theanthropic man. This big word that tries to communicate the impossibility of who Jesus is. Theos is the word God. Anthropos is the word man. So you put those two words together, you get Theos, Anthropos, the theanthropic man is Jesus, who is undiminished deity and true humanity united in one person forever. That's the birthday we're talking about. That's not a birthday like our kids. It's not a birthday like your kids. It's a birthday not like any other human that's ever been born or ever will be born. This is the unique Son of God, Son of Man. That's why there's so much celebration of Jesus. So unique He is. This one whose birthday we celebrate at Christmas is the central figure of all history. More important, you could say, more dominant, you would appropriately be able to say, than anyone, the one above all others, about whom literally everyone must decide, what will I do with Jesus? What do I believe about Jesus? And your decision makes a difference. Your decision about Jesus makes a difference. It makes such a big difference, you'd even call it an eternal difference. The true meaning of Christmas is not just incidental. It's not just optional. Here, here's the, here's the central message everybody needs to know. You get this right, who Jesus is and what he came to do and accomplish. You get this right or eternity goes all wrong. That's sobering, isn't it? It makes what we're doing today more important than anything else we'll do all day, any day. (laughs) It's just that kind of truth. Here's what we should all know. It is difficult to be neutral about Jesus. In fact, it's impossible to be neutral about Jesus. And though this is the common way people want to be, Uh, outside of the walls of a church, perhaps. It's just common that people want to be somewhat distant from Jesus. They want to be able to say, look, you think about Jesus the way you want to. I'll think about Jesus the way I want to. We can all just get along that way. We be very tolerant one of another. And consequently, I'm just somewhat oblivious to it, to it all. You know, it's, it just doesn't matter to me. It's just, you know, your truth is true for you. My truth is true for me. And it, that, that's just a very common approach to Jesus. But here's what everybody in the world needs to know. You're either for him or you're against him. Period. How do I know that? Well, he said that. <laughs> Jesus said that. Jesus is actually a very polarizing person. Matthew 12, 30 says, whoever is not with me is, and what's the word? Against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. There's a sense in which Jesus himself draws a line and says, you can't have it both ways. 
I am either son of God, son of man in your heart and mind, or you're really rejecting me because I don't claim to just be a nebulous nothing. I claim to be all in all, or you can't have me at all. I'm not available as a neutral person. Well, that's, that means we have to decide. That means I've got to take a side. Yes, it does. Attempts to merely admire him without acknowledging his exclusive claims to deity actually end up rejecting him. <laughs> Since merely admiring him is not a real option, he doesn't want it to be an option. Now, we all may come to the process by which we come to that conclusion, and so, yeah, there, there's a, a mental sense of coming to the conclusion, but the reality is you're for me or you're against me. You believe that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes into the Father but by him, or you don't. You come to a final conclusion, and... Um, Christmas Sunday is no different than that. We have to see that the whole life of Christ, from his birth to his death, to his all of it encompasses the fact that there's a choice to be made about Jesus and its exclusive claims that he makes. Let's start down that journey about Jesus. The first thing I, I think we should notice here is that he was lovingly given lovingly given. We're all familiar with John 3.16. Augmenting this passage in Matthew, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Our Christmas cantata just last week, it was centered around this verse, the, the love of God, <laughs> demonstrated in such a way that he would give us Jesus, he was lovingly given. Human love uh, has its growth rate, right? You kind of start, if you're dating somebody, you might even call that uh, puppy love. Sometimes we've labeled it that uh, immature kind of conditional love. And I love you today. Oh, I might not love you tomorrow, but boy, do I love you today. Let's go out on a date this weekend. And I love you. I love you. They love me. I love you. Next weekend, somebody else comes better along. <laughs> I love her now. And you know, that kind of temporary, it seems like uh, it's going to be forever. It might even last at the end of the day, kind of love, you know, then you know, you grow it up a little bit, and there's that married love, and boy, you stand before God and this company, and you say, I'll promise to, to love you the rest of my life till death do us part. And that's a grown-up love. That's serious. You know, that comes, and then you, you come to find out that you do that for 50 years, and you find out that that girl, what, what started out is love, you find out, well, that, that was just the beginning of what real love, boy, 50 years down the road or something, now this is real love. Or even when babies come along as the fruit of that marriage and you love that little child that comes along and you find out, now this is what real love is, right? Or really, best yet, when grandkids come along, there, you know, the apex of love. Hoo-hoo-wee, you right? All of that pales 
to insignificance to the love God had for us in sending us his only son. God becoming man and dwelling among us. He loved us. We'll never come to fully even even in heaven, there'll be eternity in growing and understanding of the vastness and infinite nature of the love of God demonstrated in giving us his son. There was all of those prophetic predictions that at the certain time, when the time was right, at a certain place, fulfilling intricately detailed prophecy from the the very beginning, hundreds of years before that Jesus in Bethlehem would be born of a virgin, of the house of David. So many things coming true from the predictions that were made, all of it in fulfillment of the loving gift of Jesus to us, that he would be born of a virgin supernaturally. When we studied Mary just last time, We again talked about the importance of the truth of this sinless birth would lead to a sinless life and consequently a substitutionary death for us that could be adequate to provide for the sins of the world. He was lovingly given because God loves you. You do things for your family. You do things for your friends because you love them. It moves you. If you don't love them, then you're not likely to give to them. That's the nature of it. That's, if you want to ask the reason why, that's a good passage to look at to know why. Because he loves us. He was lovingly given. And he was curiously considered. Curiously considered. Mark chapter 8 takes this story in Matthew to uh, another incident. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? That was the question of the day as Jesus in his three-and-a-half-year ministry did various things in various places. It all came down to, who do people say that I am? What do you think of me? And each person had to come to their own conclusions. Oh, there were times when when there were flocks of people who would come and consider who Jesus is. There would be many things that would draw people to him. The miracles and all of his teaching and all of that would be like a, a curious crowd gathering, sometimes thousands of people. And they would go and come and interest in him would swell and wane and it would go up and down like a roller coaster. He was was curiously considered by the crowd. There would be that incident of his baptism and hearing in Matthew chapter 3 verse 17, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And, And so the world was put on notice. This is who he is. Notice him. Respond to him. You'll give account because of him. At his baptism, it was that sense of you've been put on notice. And then he would go uh, into a period of testing and temptation out in the wilderness. And for 40 days, he would prove 
that he would be who he was just declared to be by God the Father and the Holy Spirit at that baptism uh, because he would withstand the temptation of Satan himself, therefore proving his sinless birth would result in a sinless life. And then there'd be the miracles whereby he would heal people of their diseases. He would feed the multitudes. He would calm the storm and literally raise the dead. And the question would come, what kind of man is this? And the proper conclusion would be, son of God, son of man, savior of the world, Messiah. All of that would cause people to have to decide about Jesus. And some people wanted to dabble in Jesus. Have you ever dabbled in something? <laughs> you ever think about, oh, well, I'm, I was kind of dabbling in the idea that maybe I'd be an astronaut. You know, well, I just dabbled in it for a little while, you know, decided not to, you know. Some people dabble with Jesus. Think about it for a little while, you know, consider it for here and now and all, and never seriously come to terms with Jesus. a lot of people in Jesus' day that way. As long as he was feeding the multitudes, crowds were showing up. As long as he was doing the miraculous, okay. But when he says, take up your cross and follow me. Oh, now, wait a minute. I was thinking about uh, the other things on my schedule. And look at that, what time it is. Oh, got to go. <laughs> Seriously considered even by us today, right? Ultimately, what did many re respond to Jesus with? Rejection. Ultimately, there was rejection. Because as we read in John chapter 19, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. We've made a decision about Jesus and we reject him. In fact, give us Barabbas on some practical level. We'll take literally anybody, a criminal, or we'll take anybody but Jesus. He makes such exclusive claims on us. He interferes with our lives in such a way that if Push comes to shove. If I've really got to make a decision about Jesus, well, there it is. I'll lay it out for you. Crucify him. That's our, the world's response to Jesus. In the words of those people, we were really represented well there. Oh, there was the triumphal entry when they laid down the palm. Just a few days when he said, here I am, world. What will you do with me? And we kind of dabbled in Jesus enough, long enough to say, well, you know, maybe you're the right guy. Come on in. You're going to bring us peace and prosperity. We're going to have our best life now. Everything's going to be kosher and good and wonderful. Okay, then we'll take that if you're the guy that's going to wait a minute. No, yeah, this it, take me or nobody else, and I'm the only say. Oh, wait a minute! It, can't you be more tolerant? Can't isn't it broader than all of that? Can't everybody find their own way to God? Can't, are you sure that? Oh, if it comes to those kind of terms, then no, thank you, Jesus. That was our response to him. Ultimately, when we asked for his crucifixion on the cross it was our evaluation as the world that we would not choose him if we had to choose him exclusively but then he was gloriously vindicated gloriously i'd have to say because what happened turned the world upside down 
Luke 24, 6 says, He is not here, but has risen. Mary would literally say in John chapter 20, verses 16 to 18, I have seen the Lord. <laughs> he would literally rise again from the grave. His resurrection proved his victory over sin and death. He demonstrated his teaching was true. It wasn't just that his teaching was resurrected. It's not just that his ideas were resurrected. Not just that the enthusiasm he had for life was resurrected in the other people that went on. It's not merely that he started a movement and that movement, though taking a dip in popularity, gained in popularity later on. It's not merely that his love was resurrected in the life of his followers. No, it was that literally he came alive again bodily from the grave and is alive today. That's what a Christian community of people believe about Jesus and nothing less. It isn't optional that you could believe less than that about Jesus and be a Jesus follower. It isn't on the table to consider in any other form. What is Christmas to you is the question that we all are here to answer. Is it a celebration of Jesus, his miraculous birth, his sinless life, his substitutionary death, his victorious resurrection, his glorious ascension back to heaven? Is it all of that or is it a celebration of winter? The opportunity to give gifts, uh, to, to gather family and have parties. And after all, we're off work. And is that what Christmas is? M merely that? That's nice. That's convenient. That's comfortable. That's who, who would possibly object to that? Of course, no one would. That's wonderful. But if that's all it is to you, you've missed the meaning of Christmas truly. Will you embrace the true meaning? Because the true meaning goes from the cradle to the cross to the crown. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. That's the cradle. But in coming, there's a sense in which, maybe even symbolically, the Wood that made up the cradle would be the wood that makes up the cross There connected, I mean, not literally, but I'm just, I'm just figuratively as we're thinking about the manger and the wood there, it, well, it's a sense in which that manger scene isn't complete until it goes all the way to the cross. In fact, if you go back to that manger scene or, or go back to his infancy or as a little boy when the wise men come with the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the gold there isn't complete until you see the gold making up the crown by which he is the king of kings and lord of lords. The parts and pieces of this story fit together in this continuous stream or you don't have Christmas. It's all connected. It's all or nothing. It's not okay to just be neutral about it. Everyone must decide. And there's only a right and wrong answer, not the muddled middle in between. The way our society would commonly like it to be. Unfortunately, there is no muddled middle. 
So what would our next steps be? Every single person in the world needs to be converted to Christ as their Savior in order to go to heaven forever. And here's the good news. Everyone can. Good news. Christmas Sunday would be a great time to respond to the gospel message and trust Jesus to forgive you of your sin and to save your soul. Would you do it now? That's the Christmas Sunday question. Would you do that now? Would you recognize Jesus for who he is, properly understand in that regard, submit to him in the sense that he could be the one who could forgive you of your sin and give you eternal life. Joshua Bell went to the New York City subway station, opened up his violin case, turned it around to the public walking by, took out the violin and started playing and played a concert of Mozart and Schubert. And having his case open was... He had kind of seeded his concert with a couple of bucks and some change, hoping that people would, in passing by, toss in some change to go with it. And at the end of his so-called concert, there was $32 in the case. The night previous, he played in the Boston Symphony. He was the lead violinist. And used that same $3 million Stradivarius violin and played for what he was paid many thousands of dollars to play in the same concert that he played in the subway. People in the subway had the chance to hear virtually the same concert that he gave the night before. And every ticket in the symphony hall, hundreds of dollars to get to hear him play. And many thousands of people walking by completely unnoticed, unrecognized, and if they did, throwing in their change or dollar bill in recognition of who he really was and the extraordinary way he could play the extraordinary instrument he held in his hands. Many people will consider Jesus and miss the significance of it. Will that be you? Hope not. Hope you'll recognize the uniqueness of Christ and do so today. And if you've already recognized that, you're already a believer. Every single follower of Christ needs to be fully dedicated to the cause of advancing the good news of the gospel no matter what it takes. There is nothing more important in life. Christmas Sunday for us would be a great time to reevaluate our involvement and realign our priorities for this great purpose. Would you do it today? <laughs> There's something to be done literally every time we open the Bible, every day, to respond to the Holy Spirit's work in our heart about the truth that we read in the holy revelation of God of Himself in Scripture. And so today, the thing that would make this a Merry Christmas properly is if we would respond in faith to Jesus, 
and give ourselves wholeheartedly still. You, you can still be an astronaut and live wholeheartedly for Jesus or a firefighter or a, a computer analyst or a, a factory worker or school teacher or student. Or you, We could be the things we do in life, of course, wholly dedicated to the one who gives us eternal life. That's the only right response to who Jesus is, if we fully recognize him for the one he is. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes in prayer and ask the Lord to help us not only come to terms and realize the value of who he is, but have the courage to follow him obediently and willingly and joyfully as would be the right response on Christmas Sunday or any other Sunday. Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to respond and hands and feet that would be willing to put to action our response to this wonderful gift of yourself. So, in the quietness of this moment, let me just give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus, not merely to me or this church, but to Jesus. Would you, friend, repent of your sin and ask Jesus to save you right now? You may want to use words like this. This is, these, this is the concept. You may want to use these words, right, in the quietness of this moment now, in your response to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I want to value you for who you really are, Son of God, Son of Man, my Savior. I'm asking you right now today to forgive me my sin and save my soul eternally. I depend upon you for my standing in heaven. I'm asking you to be my Savior, my Lord, my God, my all in all, forgiver of my sins, Savior of my soul, I trust you. I'm responding to you, Jesus. I'm receiving you, and I'm calling upon you to save me. I'm doing so by faith. I trust that what the Bible says is true about you. I receive you to be my Savior and Lord. Friend, if that's your heart to Jesus for the first time in your life today, let me welcome you to the family of God because all who call upon him, he receives. All who respond in repentance and faith to Jesus, he welcomes into his family. So in that sense, I, I welcome you uh, to his family. Now, uh, I'm going to urge you, have the boldness to tell that that's what you believe about Jesus. Don't, don't be content to have this some sense of secrecy. No, go public. The way uh, most formally you go public is in public baptism. I would commend that act of obedience after your salvation to you and many other steps that will come along the way. And then for all of us today on this Christmas Sunday, are we good ambassadors of the gospel and the articulation of who Jesus is and what that means to us? Let's rededicate ourselves to him, to that cause. No matter what our occupation or status or place in life, whether we're young or old or anywhere in between, let's 
fully commit all in to this one good gospel message, good news of Jesus. So Lord, uh, take us in our response today. Help us, it, help, help us to be sincerely and fully committed to you. And some perhaps this morning in salvation, uh, probably most of us here in a renewed sense of dedication to you on this special day of the year. May you do that work and carry that work out in us by your power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd love to know of your response today, whether it's a, a step of dedication, service, or if it's a step of salvation. I'd love to know that that card that's in the pew in front of you is a wonderful way to communicate, or just tell us, <laughs> or text us, or call us, or whatever. We'd love to know of your response to Jesus today. We've used this word Emmanuel quite a bit, and uh, God with us. We've also used the word hallelujah quite a bit in praise to God. There's a little song, a little chorus, a little ditty uh, called the hallelujah song. What, what's that called? Um, what a good idea. The hallelujah chorus. It happens to be in our hymn book. Why don't we sing it? Uh, I'm so glad you thought of it. <laughs> That's called manipulation. I loved it, though. <laughs> Every year, it seems, somebody has this bright idea that we ought to sing the Hallelujah Chorus because it, it expresses this sense of praise to God for this wonderful gift and it, it, both the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, all of that kind of encompassed in this song. The hallelujah chorus, and it's really a fabulous saying. It's way beyond what a congregation of people can sing, of course, musically in a sense, but, but we own it, and we, we try to do it. But in order to do it well, I need your help, particularly all of you remember back in high school when you sang the hallelujah chorus in high school choir and, you know, college, whatever. If you've ever really actually given attention to the song, you know a little bit of it, Come on up to the platform, because it'll be a big help to us, and uh, we'll sing it together. Let's all stand, please. Everybody stand. It's hymn number 37. You'll need the music, trust me, on this. Um, hymn number 37. But if you've ever sung it, you know, you've ever been a part of a choir, you know, a church choir, a school choir, uh, you've ever been, uh, you know, in one of those environments where you actually kind of paid a little attention to that song, uh, it would be a great help to us to come on, come on up here even if you know one note of the song, it'd be just really grand to have everyone like that on up here. Because the more the merrier, right? That's, that's the idea here. The more the merrier. You're no, I, you know, you're, nobody's going to have you sing a solo. Just come on up. That'll be, that'll be fun. Because the nature is we're, we're lifting our voice in praise to the Lord in this unique song. All right? Let's have Christmas Sunday ended on a high note of praise. Hymn number 37. Here we, it, it wouldn't be possible if we didn't have instrumentalists like we have. It would be able to um, cover us up when we do what we're going to do here in a few minutes. <laughs> so thanks to our pianists and organists. Yeah, here we go.
praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, Lord, on this Christmas day, this Christmas Sunday celebration of what the birth of Jesus means, it makes us to have this sober realization of the joy of eternal life with you made possible through your son, Jesus. So we say, uh, among each other, praise to you. Hallelujah. Take our praise, Lord, as a motivational tool that you'll use in our lives, that we would live for your praise. This week and in every day of our lives that you give us help and strength to live. In your most holy name we pray. Amen. Tonight, 5 o'clock, communion, candlelight, Christmas service. Please, invite a friend, come. We'll see you then.